Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Adam is an experienced entrepreneur with a keen understanding of how to build products that people genuinely love. Dynamic and outgoing, he is also excellent at team building at, at team building and support. I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Adam and his business, HR Locker, to anyone. That is just one of the re- many recommendations I've got for today's guest, which is Adam Coleman, CEO of HR Locker. Adam, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Ryan. Chuff to have you here. Typical fashion with this podcast, we go back to chapter one with the guest and work our way from there. So with you, you grew up in, if I've got this correct, I know, I think you went to secondary school in Galway, but you grew up in Athlone? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what was your childhood like, early days? You can answer this from the perspective of Galway or Athlone or a combination of both. Any standout fond memories? Oh, yeah. But at the back of my house in Athlone, there was this massive, there was a wood, an original hazelnut wood with the original Athlone road running through it. And I probably spent from the age of five till 12, hanging out of trees and kissing girls in ferns and doing all that sort of stuff that you're not supposed to do. So that's Very probably nice. my fondest memory. That and duck shooting with my father would probably be the two that really stood out. That's pretty cool, duck shooting. I've never done that before. So talk to me, sticking with early childhood days, who do you think, you've alluded to duck shooting with your father, but who do you think had the biggest impact on you when you were growing up? At a young age, I had a national school teacher called Jerry McHugh, who came from Tume originally, actually. And I think it was probably his first or second job directly out of St. Pat's. And he, his way of teaching was unorthodox, but fun. And he's, he was likely to jump up on a table and scream, but in a nice way, not in a bad way. You get the enthusiasm. And he also basically, my na- the national school I went to at the time, we were quite a sporty area, but there was nobody organizing school teams and stuff. I ended up being his captain of the soccer team, which we got today, the, the Connacht final in, for community games. And then we actually got beaten by my original team, which was Redmore and Galway, which was an extra time. So that would have been quite exciting as well. Nice. I know you've touched on soccer. If I've got this correct, you're also a Southampton fan. Yeah, for my sins, yeah. They're not too bad. They're not. I saw the joke, there was a screenshot at the top of the table and they wanted to stop the count. When that was me. With top. <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of other things I know about you from doing research. You've been to places like Portugal, Spain, Belgium, America, Greece. You're an avid surfer living in La Hinch. If yeah, yeah. international audience don't know, that's probably one of the best places to surf in Ireland. You're a golf fan, you've got, you own a dog, and as I've alluded to already, you're a Southampton fan. But what's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? Probably emotional intelligence, EQ. Okay, EQ, any books? Oh, how many would you like? EQ trumps IQ every day, and, and there's loads and loads of studies to prove that. But the thing I'm probably most passionate about, which is involved in that, is is the culture within organizations and open transparent meritocracy approach to managing a business where basically anybody can be challenged at any one moment in time everybody has a believability score no questions are stupid 
and it's a badge of honor in HR Locker when somebody puts up their hand and says, I don't know what a tracker mortgage is. If you remember that horrible advert from a couple of years ago, because most of us didn't know what it was, but everyone that had one realizes now it was a good thing to have. And you're alluding, you, you believe that EQ is one of the tools that you, you can arm people with or educate or get people better on so that it brings down the walls so they aren't afraid to put their hand up and ask the questions. Exactly. So most people bring two people to work, one person who does the job and the other person who hides their vulnerabilities. We encourage to bring one person to work. So one person who does their job and the other person who tells you about their vulnerabilities so they can be a better person, not just at work, but everywhere. I have this internal joke amongst my family and I've since I started the podcast, let it public. And it's almost as if I tell the audiences my weaknesses so they can't call me out for it. And it's, I have this thing that I can't, if a word's longer than seven letters, I don't know what it means. Now, naturally most words longer than seven letters I do, but is that kind of being vulnerable where if there's a word that you don't understand, just saying, hey, what does that mean? Instead of... Exactly. It, could be, it could be anything. Like, for instance, I'm, dis- I'm dyslexic, okay? Mm-hmm. Very openly dyslexic. Thank God for word check. Thank God for Grammarly, all that sort of stuff. But for years and years, I wasn't diagnosed as dyslexic and uh, it would have held me back. So, for instance, in my basic degree, I got a 2-2 and I worked hard for that 2-2. But it was a part of that initial degree that I got diagnosed with dyslexia. And then I realized that I'm way better at learning audibly than visually. Mm-hmm. As in, I'm better at listening than reading, if you understand me. Yep. And that, that has accelerated my learning through the use of audible books, all that sort of stuff, massively in comparison to if I was, for instance, I, I would consume probably about a book a week, which your average book on audible is probably about eight hours long. It's not that it's not that long. And if I'm out running, if I'm out cycling or if I'm in the car, Audible's always on with inter inter interspersed with probably news talk in Ireland, basically. But I think I think if you understand how you learn, you can do an awful lot better in life. There's a great app called Blinkist because you've mentioned Audible yeah. that kind of can, you're, you're familiar with it. Just it yeah. condenses books down to kind of 15 minutes and I've, I've downloaded it. I've not yet tried it. I only downloaded it a couple of days ago. Yeah, I actually met the guys who, who founded it in, in the UK. Oh, Jesus, five or six years ago. <clears throat> and it, it amazed me. It really amazed me. And at the, if you do want me to recommend the book around the Please. whole open transparency, there's a, an absolutely amazing book called An Everyone Culture written by a guy called Robert Keegan and Lisa Lasko-Lehi, who were two organization psychologists from Harvard. And they, they, they sort of coined out the whole idea of a deliberate development organization. <clears throat> and that book, it takes in 2000, up to 2013, the neurologists were telling everybody that the human brain didn't evolve past the age of 32. And all the organization psychologists for decades were, were, were constantly questioning this, but they, the neurologists were always saying, we know because the, the frontal cortex and the maligula and ah, mm-hmm. does X, Y, and Z. In 2013, the neurologist came out and said, oh, we made a mistake. It does evolve past the age of 32. And these, I think it was about five organizational psychologists in the States, they pulled a load of companies and zeroed it down to three companies. One is called Bridgewater Associates, run by Ray Dalio, uh, most successful hedge fund in the world. 
another company called NextJump, who are an e-commerce company, actually in the HO rewards area and recognition, and the third company called Curian, who are an estate management company. And what they did was they realized that these three companies were doing something very different. So they, they lived with them for over a year, didn't charge them any fees, didn't do anything with them, and they studied them. And the amalgamation is this particular book called An Everyone Culture. And it, it basically, it, it, it's, it's like we were doing this before I read the book. And when I read the book, it was like, oh, my God, now I have a Bible to, to reference of what I'm doing. So it's a very different way of managing an organization. And it's a very different way of basically, um, sorry, uh, a very different way of, of managing a company. And it's a very different way of selecting people. And it's a very different way of getting people to advance themselves within the organization. And as Brené Brown says, to make them a better person. So what you're saying to me is you, it's possible to teach an old dog new tricks. Of course it is, yes. Before we go further into business, your career started in recruitment. You now own HR Locker, and we'll get into a couple of other things, but sticking with the early days, why Greek and Roman civilization and history at UCD? Okay, it, 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 it didn't grow naturally. When I went to UCD first, I actually wanted to do law, and probably dyslexia got the better of me on the leave search, and I didn't get the points. I was a point short. And I remember having a conversation with somebody at the time and saying, what's the best thing to do? And my cousin at the time was in third year law. And he said, look, he says, if you really want to do law, he says, don't do a law degree. He says, do an arts degree, do something that you're interested in. And then you can do a postgrad, an LLB, and then you can sit the black hole place exams and become a solicitor. He says, it's by far the best way to do it, blah, 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 blah. And I started off doing, in first year in UCD, I started off okay, what subjects do I like? I loved history. I loved English. And I, I adapted to this new subject called psychology. And I started in first year and I did started with those three. And when Professor Nolan in psychology started talking about an alcoholic mouse around the end of November, I thought, oh, here, Jesus, this is not for me. Uh, and so I, I geared away from psychology. And at the time I was looking for what they call an easy third subject because you drop one <clears throat> and when you're going into second year. So I started Greek and Roman civilization, which was a combination of history and philosophy and architecture and all sorts of stuff. And um, I'll be honest with you, within two to three months, I realized that the Greek philosophy was more helpful to me because I was beginning to learn how to think better. And um, so I dropped English and continued on with classics, basically, and, and specifically philosophy. Uh, Greek philosophy. When you got into the working world, then you started your career, I believe it was over in London, in recruitment. After that, you might have had another couple of gigs, but you eventually joined ESAT Digifone as the yes. sixth employee. That yes. company was Ireland's first unicorn. If you've read your LinkedIn, that's yes. where I learned it. Uh, it grew, you were at number six. It grew to 800 people in three years. Yes. What was that like, joining a company that grew so fast? Any lessons learned or key takeaways? Oh, I'd say it basically painted a picture of how I wanted the rest of my career to go. There was no such thing. Digifone was an incredible operation. Culture was very important to it. <clears throat> and what we did initially when we started, myself and the HR director, a guy called John Hennessy, we started to look at behavioral-based interviewing, behavioral-based management, all that sort of stuff. So we started off the business and we derived basically three 
you would call them competencies that we hired against, rewarded against everything. And they were very simple, teamwork, adaptability, and customer focus. So if a person during the interview process wasn't acceptable on all of those three, they didn't get hired. Didn't matter how good they were as a Unix administrator or a DMS 100 switching engineer or a transmission engineer, they just didn't get hired. And the one or two times we deviated off it, it, it was a disaster. We then took those three behaviors or competencies, and then we brought them into performance management. And then we trained up, we trained all of the managers how to hire and how to manage appropriately because we physically couldn't do it all ourselves. And I think there was no such thing as can't happen. Everything would happen. If there was 10 things to do, we'd attempt eight of them and seven of them would work. It was just, a, it was a very special time. And it was, it was great because we, we were competing with one incumbent at the time, which was Aircom or Aircell, I suppose as it was. And we took 43% of the market within three years. So, so ESAT Telecom and Digiphone and whatever was, was eventually sold in 1999 to BT for over a billion. That's it was phenomenal stuff, absolutely phenomenal stuff. And the atmosphere and everything within the company was just right. Now, saying that, I was there from 1996 until 2002. And then I went to O2 UK. And I think it was how it went after that, I'm not so sure. As far as I know, it went reasonably well, because I think there is an element of when a startup gets going, it's all doing it for the right reasons. Everyone's really enthusiastic about it. But that, that went on for six years, which is fairly unusual in an organization like that. Do you know? Yeah, yeah they, it's, it's said that the communication line, and I'm saying this because you're in HR, breaks yeah. at like employee number 150. But with that in mind, the fact that you go from six to 803 years, how did you manage uh, the growth that fast with also research showing that the communication line breaks down at employee 150? I don't know who came up with that 150 um, number, but that's a bit crazy in my mind. I think if you hire people against a set process, like if you take Kate or Locker at the moment, mm-hmm. we've got seven principles in the company and they're, they're like, they're, all they are is built on from where we came from in Digifone. We, mm-hmm. we don't have adaptability. We have flexibility. We don't have customer focus. We have an initiative and, and execution. We have teamwork. We have uh, trust and truth. We have ownership. We have resilience and empathy. Do you know? And, and each of those basically were derived in-house within the company. The title, the definition, and then all of the employees inputted into what good looks like under each one. It's where you drive your questions for interviewing. It's where you drive your questions for performance management and how people work. And that it's, it's to keep it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. When I went to O2UK, for instance, when we were sold out to BT and became O2Ireland and O2UK, it was a different ballgame. They had made it massively complicated. They had eight competencies and four levels under each competency. And the HR director who I reported at the time was going to retrospectively rule this out in a previous year and and link it directly to pay, which is all nuts, which I completely disagreed with. And obviously we got on famously well on that basis, not, you know, But, but the idea basically from our perspective was that if you keep things simple and you say, look, if you're flexible in your approach to work, if you've got good teamwork and if you actually have good customer focus in terms of, of Digifone, because it's obviously a consumer brand as well as a B2B brand, 
in B2B, it gets more into sort of the initiative and execution of what you're doing. And when people understand what's expected of them, they can use it then as a communications tool and saying, you're not being very flexible at this moment in time, or your execution on that project was particularly poor. So they actually embody the communications, how people work, how they talk to each other, all under the one banner. And and it it ends up being a a complete tool to manage people and for people to manage each each other within the business. For any future founders, entrepreneurs listening to the podcast, is time working for someone else? Take the example of O2 and ESAT, learning your craft while getting paid at those companies, something that you'd recommend? Yeah, I think it's, it's important for you to recognize what good looks like and what bad looks like. And having come through Montrose, Hayes, Digiphone, O2, and then subsequently the consulting stuff, because we, we, we didn't, we, when I set up in Clare, I set up a HR consultant on a, a, the company is HR Interventions Limited, and it's still the company, but, and working with a lot of companies like New Bay and Paddy Houlihan, the likes of the Now Factory, Open Hydro, Microsemi, various other startups that, that sort of scaled and exited. You, you do, if, if you think that you're the fully rounded person at any stage in your career, you're losing. If you could add any secondary school, any subject to the leaving cert curriculum that was mandatory, what would it be? It's an interesting one, very interesting one. I have an answer for this, and I can't remember. It's actually going out of my head. I, I can um, jump to another question, and we'll come back to it in a minute or two. No, I, I like. I would definitely. Can I put something on the curriculum rather than a, a subject? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, there's a book at the moment that was released probably about five or six years ago called The Entrepreneur Revolution. And it was written by a guy called Daniel Priestley, who's a multi-multi-millionaire. And I think every TY student should be made read it. And they would enjoy it, actually, most of them. And, and what it does, basically, it's not about being an entrepreneur. It's about being an, having an entrepreneur mindset to life. Mm. My, my kids, I made my kids <laughs> read it. <laughs> and I think the other part that should be done is that they should also do psychometric evaluation with young people. And the purpose of that is, is to, for them to understand the communication style and preferences and also to understand the communication style and preferences to, of others so that they can oh, actually get the best of the relationships, you know? And yeah. so I think, I think if you're, if the subject I'd be looking at would be a combination of psychology and philosophy and readiness for the world, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't really put it in. When you talk about a particular subject, it's very hard because you're being hemmed in by the content of that subject. Yeah, but personality styles and communication styles is a, a great choice. But particularly, particularly when you think about the raging hormones that are going on at the age of 16 and 17. And having a, a daughter who's 22 and a, a son who's 20, I've been through that story. Yeah, it's at least another decade and a half away from me, so I'm putting that to the side for the moment. In your industry, is there a commonly held belief that you passionately disagree with? In my industry, is there commonly held? Hmm. Have to come back to that, Ryan. I'm, I really have to think about that one. There's so many of them that I would disagree with. It's that's the problem. I think I think the amount of emphasis that that is put on 
preparing a CV is way over the top. I think the, and this is going to be weird coming out of me, I think the canned approach to hiring and rewarding people and promoting people, I think is that, that, that is fed by the HR industry, if you want to call it that, is, I think, I think. No, you know what, you're actually, you're onto something here because you, well, in my early teens, I remember knocking on doors looking for jobs and one of them said, can you give me your CV? And I had a CV in my bag, but I decided to say, I don't have a CV because most of the time when people ask me for my CV, they're actually really nice people. They don't want to let my feelings down and it means they don't have a job. If that's the case, I'm happy to leave. And they smiled and I actually got a job out of that. I didn't even need a CV in the end. So I think you're onto something. Yeah, but I think also if I, let's say for instance, I was doing a project with a client and they were looking at taking on HR locker, for instance, and they weren't returning my call and returning my call, returning my call. The most effective email I send now is I'm okay with a hard no. Tell me what the story is. I'm okay with a hard no. If you're prepared to tell me why and I can learn from it. Mm-hmm. So I think the diagnostics, we have a diagnostic in HR Locker every quarter. It's called Lost Deals Diagnostic. And we sit down with the salespeople. And the first thing that we do is we say, take your ego and put it outside the door. If I hear I in any of this conversation, you get sent out of the room or in for the last year or so, out of the team's conversation. You're banned for 10 minutes. You're sin binned, right? Because it's not about you. It's about the process. How can we improve the process? Mm-hmm. It's not about I did this and I did that. It's okay, great, you did that. So why didn't it work then? If you take the ego, if you can get people to manage their egos, and what I mean by that is try and divorce their egos, things move on a lot quicker, a lot faster, uh, and things get done a lot better, and people learn more. But it's very, to be honest with you, Ryan, I've been trying to do it for the last four years. And I would say I do it about 55% of the time. If I get to 80% of the time, I'd be happy. Some people that I've come across, it's a very small percentage of people. And I thought that's a bad thing, but they see their business life as a series of plays. They tend to be incredibly driven and focused and, and every minute matters to them. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, and it might not be you at all, but it sparked something what you said reminded me of it. And it was, you said in a previous interview, I have no emotional attachment to my company. My goal is to get HR Locker to a valuation of 64 million. You've also said that by the time of September 21st, 2025, you will start looking. Doesn't mean you'll exit, you'll start looking for an an exit door. And the reason why- I I think actually what I said was, what I was trying to say, if I didn't say it, was I would start looking to take personal cash off the table. Yes. That was it. Uh, yeah, you, you're correct with that. And the reason why I mentioned the the thing about the plays is it felt to me like you've roadmap, roadmapped each play in your business career from backwards to front. Am I mistaken by that? Because you were very specific in the date. Is there a reason for that? Or am I completely off and, there was, and there's another reason for the date? 21st September is my birthday, which is a good one, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and five years time is 2025 when I said it. I so, read way too much into it then. And then basically, I would say realistically, if I go to seven years, I'm going to be 58. Like, honest to God, at this stage, Ryan, I don't even know if I'm the right person to take HR Locker to the next stage or not. Okay. And there's a vulnerability for you. I know I can, but I don't know if I, I don't think I'm the best person. 
Would you just, and you might have an answer for this, but you, you are head of HR at the company, the Unicorn, when there were 700 people there. Do you think you could stay within HR Locker but move to head of HR as a role and bring on a CEO? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or Two more questions. Or promote somebody to CEO. Yeah. 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 No, because because I've seen very few people do it, but those that do it have that vulnerability, that trait of vulnerability in it. And, and you seem to have that as a strength that I don't think that you'd look at it as a handing off the baton. Oh, not at all. No, I like at the end of the day, I have an onus to myself, to the people who work in HR Locker. I was going to say to shareholders in HR Locker, which we don't have at the moment, <laughs> which is good in one way, but like in essence, We've started a stage now in HR Locker, which my job has completely changed again, which I must admit, I'm not really comfortable with, Ryan, but I'm getting through it. And that's to, to bring on board a smart investor into HR Locker. Okay. We've gone down to the route of we're completely bootstrapped, evident positive, all that sort of good stuff. And we went we, from last September, we looked at a, a way of how do we accelerate the growth of HR Locker. One way is by increasing the amount of money you have, if you understand me. Mm -hmm. So we looked at debt financing, which we are still in the roles of trying to get some of that on board, which is nice where you don't, you don't reduce your equity in any way, shape or form. I have subsequently given 5% of the company to our head of marketing, Crystal, and I've given 5% of the company to our CTO, Mike. And there's a further 10% being held for employees. And we're going through that piece at the present. So we've got a completely clean cap table, which is nice for, for an investor perspective. But yeah. in the past, we would have looked at throwing out a net, right? And trying to, to troll through investors and angels and all that sort of stuff. But as of two weeks ago, we have decided basically we're going to go spear fishing rather than net fishing. So we're in the middle of, of making a list of about, I think it's 60 companies either VC or angel investors who have scaled a B2B SaaS business across the UK and US. And my job in the next six to nine months is to find one of them to invest in HR Locker. Okay. We're just up on time. We've got about 30 seconds left. With the final 30 seconds, one last question. If your loved ones are all safe, but your house is burning down and you can only save one item, what one item would that be? My dog. Nice. And my surfboard. Dog and your surfboard. Excellent answer. Adam Coleman, HR Locker. It's been a pleasure chatting to you today, getting to know you a little more over the last 30, 35 minutes. And I wish you nothing but the best between now, 21st of September, 2025, and beyond. Thanks very much, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you.